Today we are going to be moving into Romans chapter 10. Uh, but before we do that, and I know maybe some of these recaps, uh, you know, I, I've done a lot of recaps over, over the weeks, but I really, really want us to see the book of Romans as a whole. And so uh, it's, we're, I don't know, 16 weeks into this or something. So some of the things that we talked about are a long ways back. And so um, I'm going to try and, I'll try and breeze through the recap as quick as possible, but uh, I feel like it's important for us to have in mind what it is that Paul's been telling us all along in order to, to, to take this next step. And so I pretty much feel that way every week, but sometimes I, I make the recap a little shorter than, than today. Um, so what has Paul written up to this point? So we look back all the way back to chapter 1, uh, verses 16 and 17. Uh, Paul said, For I am not ashamed of the good news about Christ, for it is the power of God at work, saving everyone who believes, Jew first and also the Gentile. This good news tells us how God makes us right in his sight. This is accomplished from start to finish by faith. And then he went on to fully define what that good news is, starting with our need for the good news, because the good news is not good news if you don't know that you need it. If you don't know that your house is infected with termites and somebody starts talking to you about this surefire way to remove termites from a house, you'll probably be wondering why they are telling you about termites. And you probably won't appreciate what they're saying. You'll probably try and change the subject. You'll probably think they're a little strange. But if you recognize that your house has termites, you're going to be hanging on every word. You're going to want to know what they have to say. You're, you, you might be hoping that they'll be able to help you today take care of this problem. It's a, it's a whole different story when you recognize your need. In the simplest, its simplest description, the good news is that we can be made right with God that we can be made right with the God of all creation. So the first thing that Paul addresses way back in chapter 1 is that God exists. There is a God of creation. You don't have to worry about being right with the God of creation if there isn't one. So the first thing that he addresses is that there is a God. And he tells us how all of creation makes God's existence obvious. It, creation makes obvious his power and his divine nature. But mankind, he says... In our sinful nature, we desire to deny that truth, to suppress that truth so that we can be our own gods and we can deny, um, we can be our own gods and follow our own desires. We can set up our own standards of righteousness, uh, a standard that we hope will alleviate any sort of guilt or shame, kind of excuse our behaviors by making up our own rules. In chapter two, we read that even without having God's written law, that, that God's qualities are, are displayed to us and that his law is actually written on our hearts. And so we've, we've all broken those holy standards that are written on our hearts. Uh, Romans 3.23 says that for everyone has sinned, that we've all fallen short of God's glorious standards. Romans 3.10 says no one is righteous, not even one. And in Romans 6.23 says that the wages of sin is death, that our, our sin has earned a punishment and God, being a just God, cannot just turn a blind eye to it, but the penalty must be paid. Uh, Romans 2.16 says, and this is the message I proclaim. You know, we're talking about the gospel message. This is, this is part of the gospel message. This is the message that I proclaim, that the day is coming when God, through Christ Jesus, will judge everyone's secret life. 
This is not the good news. I may say it's the gospel message, but this isn't the good news part of the message, but it's part of the good news message. Anyone who hears and believes that this is true, anyone sensing in their hearts and their conscience that this is true, is now ready for the good news. Otherwise, you're not, they say it's not good news if you don't know you need it. So you have to be ready for the good news. But Paul doesn't just have good news. We call it good news, but it's, it's the greatest news ever. And we're going to fly through a bunch of things that we've covered over the last few weeks. Um, it doesn't just say that the wages of sin is death, but it says that the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. It's, it's free. Who, do, who likes free stuff? Yeah. <laughs> okay, it's free, and it's a gift from God. Like we are getting a gift from God. I, I, I don't know, depending on who's giving me a gift, I have higher expectations for what that gift is. You know, Sometimes my daughter will have a little present for me in the morning, and it's usually you know, one of her drawings. It doesn't probably have a lot of value to most, <laughs> most of us. I couldn't sell it on eBay for anything. Um, but, but, uh, but when you have, are given a gift from somebody with much resources, you're like, what? Am I, what are they giving me? <laughs> like what is, what, you know, the, the, the possibilities are endless, right? We have a gift from God, and it's not just peace with God in this life with no eternal punishment, but it's peace with God forever and a life that will never end. And it wasn't cheap. This wasn't something that, that's just kind of a frivolous gift that God gave that, that, that didn't have any cost to him, but it was given as a loving sacrifice. Romans 5.8 said, uh, God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. We had earned death, but God loved us so much that he sent his son to die in our place, not because we did anything good to deserve it, but even when we didn't believe in him, even when we didn't love him, he chose to make a way for us. Um, and the good news doesn't end there, but in Romans 8, it went on to describe that when we receive faith, this free gift of Jesus Christ, that the Holy Spirit of God comes and lives in us. The Holy Spirit, this, the very Spirit of God comes and lives in us and gives us a new living spirit that longs and desires to follow him. So we don't have to be trapped by the power of sin, but we can overcome sin by the power of the Holy Spirit. We have a new way of living and this Holy Spirit teaches us, it comforts us, it gives us peace and joy and strength every day. Um, and, and his Holy Spirit is a seal of adoption upon us that we are God's very own children. And one day we're gonna be free from death and decay. We're gonna have perfect bodies with no more pain and we're going to be in the presence of God with full rights as children of God. And then Paul proclaimed, this is my, one of my favorite things that we've read, is what shall we say about such wonderful things as these? You know, when you, th- when you really grasp all of this stuff that was given, what shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who can ever be against us? Since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? This is uh, Romans 8, 31 to 32, uh, 8, uh, 38, jumping ahead just a few verses to Romans 8, 38, says, and I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love, neither death nor life nor angels nor demons, neither our fears for today or worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love, no power in the sky or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all of creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. So if you remember, last week, we, 
we you know, chapter 8 ended with this, and then Paul, all of a sudden, chapter 9, just like this switch was flipped, and Paul's tone suddenly became um, just sad as, as we saw that he was filled with this deep sorrow and compassion for his fellow Jews who had not received this love of God that he has experienced. And uh, they'd, they'd rejected the good news. And, and we also saw that this tone carried on to chapter 10. We read just the first few verses of chapter 10 last week. And now we're going to pick up again with those same verses and go a little bit deeper. So Romans 10, verse 1, in the text for today, says, Dear brothers and sisters, the longing of my heart and my prayer to God is for the people of Israel to be saved. It's the longing of his heart and his prayer to God for the people of Israel to be saved. Paul had a deep compassion for the people of Israel. And we need to have the same kind of compassion for the people around us that are not saved. The people that, that we know in, this, in our communities and in the world, it, this includes Israel, but the gospel message has gone out to all nations. And so we need to have the same compassion for lost people everywhere um, compassion is the first step. You may ask, first, first step to what? So compassion is the first step to joining Jesus in his great commission, enlisting in God's army and becoming one of his elite special forces search and rescue team members. We're, we're part of Jesus' search and rescue team. We may not always feel like we are a a cut above, um, but the truth is we are. Not, not because of our own abilities and our own skills, but the power of the Holy Spirit is living in us, and when we walk in the Holy Spirit, we are made able. We are made able. Uh, even when the, the disciples had walked with Christ for three years, and they were not prepared at that point to go and walk out the Great Commission until they received the Holy Spirit. Uh, Jesus, after the resurrection, before ascending to heaven, he said to them in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, he said, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So why were they given power? They were given power to be his witnesses. The good news that we have to share is, is it's simple. It's just telling people who Jesus is, what he has done for you, and, and how you came to know him, how you came to have a personal relationship with him. You don't have to have a professional-sounding presentation that you put out. You just have to tell what you know. You just need to bear witness. Paul said in uh, 1 Corinthians Chapter 2, verses 1 through 5 says, And I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom declaring to you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was with you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. And my speech and, and my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power 
of God. Our words are a tool, but it is the power of the Holy Spirit and the message of the cross that makes them effective. We have to speak. We have to bear witness. Jesus calls us to bear witness, but we can also trust that God is going to help us with what words to say, and he's going to be the one that gives those words power. It's not merely our words, but it's the Holy Spirit power that, that is, is demonstrated through those words, through the message of the cross, and, and to the hearts of the, per, of the hearer that makes them powerful. Jesus, when he was talking to the disciples about having the right words to say, um, and in this case he was talking about if they are arrested, what words are they to, to say? He said in Matthew 10, verses 19 through 20, when you are arrested, don't worry about how to respond or what to say. God will give you the right words at the right time, for it is not you who will be speaking, it will be the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. So as Christians, we have the Spirit of the living God in us. We may not be a cut above, but we plus the Holy Spirit, are, well, really the Holy Spirit by himself is a cut above, and we're just not long for the ride. You know, um, as Christians, we have the Spirit of the living God in us, and when our compassion for the lost is stirred in us to go on a search and rescue mission, God will give us the right words. God will give us the right words. So does that mean that we don't need to train to be effective? The answer is no. In case you're wondering, I, nobody answered. So, no. uh, because we, we, we train because as we read, as we hear, as we memorize God's word, it increases our understanding, and as our understanding of God's word increases, our faith increases, and as our faith increases, our relationship with the Holy Spirit increases, and as we walk more closely with the Holy Spirit, the mission of Christ becomes a more intense desire in our hearts. And, and then the leading becomes more clear. As we become closer to the Holy Spirit, as we walk more closely with him, that desire, we, we end up having the same desire as him. We, our desires begin to fade and his desires start to take precedence. But God gave to his church the gifts of apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers for the equipping of the body for the work of the ministry. So who is it who is called, who are these, who are these people that are called to be these search and rescue type Christians? Mark uh, chapter 16, verse 15, Jesus speaking again, he said, um, then he said to them, go into all the world and preach the good news to everyone. He was talking to his disciples. So he was telling his disciples that this is, this is their mission. And those disciples were to go and make disciples. So they, and they were supposed to, that was supposed to be their mission and, and, and so on and so forth. And now all of a sudden, here we are today, we are the disciples of the disciples of the disciples, and this mission has been passed on to us. Jesus came to seek and save the lost. And he gave these orders to his disciples to go into all the world and preach the good news to everyone. But do we have the desire to do it? Do we have the desire to do it? He, the, the soldier on there talked about, you know, there's people who come in and they're, they're skilled and able. Like Christians have the Holy Spirit in them, but, but do we all have that desire 
to do it, to, to step out in faith, to speak the words that the Holy Spirit can empower to change the lives of those who are lost? Are we willing to go into messy and uncomfortable situations to shine the light of the gospel and rescue those who maybe not, don't even know that they are in need? We, when we started this study of the book of the Romans, we, this was kind of the first thought because when we, when we did kind of the intro on this, we, we, I introduced you, which I'm sure most of you have heard, Romans Road to Salvation, and we started reading through those verses week after week. The idea was is to kind of use that as a tool that as, as we memorize those verses, it helps us to kind of organize our thoughts on, on what exactly Jesus did do in our hearts and in our lives so that we would be better prepared to share that story, to better prepared to, to bear witness to those that we see in our daily life. When, when we feel the Holy Spirit nudging us to go on one of these search and rescue missions, we, 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 we have that witness, that story, that testimony uh, in the forefront of our minds. Um, but before we are able to share this message in any sort of a meaningful way, first, we need to care. Um, now, some of you may be thinking, I don't really know if evangelism is my gift. And, and I'm not saying that it's everybody's primary gift. Um, but I was thinking about it the other day, it's like not everybody is like, a, you know, is a runner, you know, but we should all be able to walk. You know, like, we, need, we still need to be able to have, you know, so I'm not saying that's going to be your primary, you know, thing, but you, you still are part of this search and rescue team. Um, it, doesn't, it doesn't exclude you just because you don't, because maybe evangelism isn't your primary gift. In our military analogy, there are those who are in support roles. Not everyone is on the front lines. Some people gather information, some make the plans, some prepare the equipment, some fly the plane, but they are all on the same mission. They all have the same desire to go and save those who are in need. The Air Force pararescue men, which is what we were seeing there, um, they have a motto, and no matter what their assignment is, they all have the same motto, and the motto is, these things we do that others may live. These things we do that others may live. And as followers of Christ, living for him, that should be our motto is too. I mean, his, his motto, you know, I would say his motto was to seek and save the lost. But we do these things so that others might live. He came to rescue us. And uh, we, we, with the spirit of Christ in us, that should become our desire as well. Um, Romans, uh, back to Romans uh, chat, verse 1, 10, verse 1 through 3. Dear brothers and sisters, the longing of my heart and my prayer to God is for the people of Israel to be saved. I know what enthusiasm they have for God, but it is misdirected zeal, for they don't understand God's way of making people right with himself. Refusing to accept God's way, they cling to their own way of getting right with God with, by trying to keep the law. So Paul did not just receive this rescue plan from sin and death to eternal life and say, see you later. Um, he didn't say see you to all those people who were still trapped in their, stand, in their sin. Instead, he looked back with compassion and he saw people who were stuck in the same ignorance that he was in. And he recognized that it was only by the grace of God that he was set free. And so he devoted himself to that same mission, to seek and save the lost. 
Now, um, I have a I have a T-shirt that I got a long, long time ago that I, I wore for years, and uh, I've got a picture of. It's not the, it's it's not mine, but it's the same shirt. Um, it has a scripture reference on it that says Luke nineteen ten, and in small letters it says he came to seek and save the lost. It was one of my favorite shirts. I I liked it a lot. I liked. The green color, I liked the kind of army look to it. I thought it was neat how the phrase, no, leave no man behind, you know, connected with Jesus, you know, saying that he came to seek and save the lost. I, I, I liked the shirt, but it never really, it didn't necessarily go a lot further than that, you know. Uh, the shirt had, had gotten old. I was looking at it the other day, and I noticed the, the collar, you know, is all worn out. I've got a little hole in the armpit. I, I, I don't really wear it outside of the house anymore. Um, but I realized I've been wearing this shirt for years thinking it, it looked cool and it, it felt good to wear it. I, I like wearing something that identified me as a Christian. Um, I thought maybe it's a little bit of an encouragement to other Christians if they see, you know, somebody wearing it, um, you know, if I'm on a store or restaurant. But I, I thought, did I, did I ever believe it in a way that it actually affected how I lived? that it actually affected my behavior was the fact that it was his, that it's his mission, that it's Jesus' mission to seek and save the lost, was that cause enough for me to make it my mission too? And if it was my mission, how other than saying that I believe it, was it actually affecting how I was living? How was I displaying that it was true? Now, we can't be too hard on ourselves. I can't be too hard on myself. Uh, We can't be running around frantically in Walmart, witnessing to every person in the store as if we're at ground zero of an explosion. Like, we, we just can't live like that, you know. But we, but we have to have in our mind, it's, it's called the Great Commission for a reason. So we should have in our mind that, that we are part of this search and rescue team, that, that, that we might be called at any moment to be part of God's mission to reach someone. Um, so to have that thought in mind, to, to realize that there may be, be something today. There might be something tomorrow. There might be something next week where God has a role for you to play in reaching someone who is lost, that's in their darkest hour. They might not realize they're in their darkest hour, but they're in their darkest hour because they are not right with God. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not perfect at sharing the gospel. I don't know if anybody can be perfect at sharing the gospel, but, but uh, I've shared a few times with, with coworkers in the past um, but when I think back, I think, you know, I've probably missed more opportunities than I've taken advantage of. And it's sad. Uh, and I think, you know, why did I miss them? And, and, and honestly, I probably missed a lot of them because I was, I didn't care enough. I, I was too focused on me and what I was doing and what was going on in my life that I, I didn't take the time to care about what was going on in somebody else's life, where they're at. We, it's very easy to be self-focused and, and it's the biggest distraction I would imagine to, to doing anything because if you don't care, you're not going to act. And so um, Paul said in that first verse, and I've read it a couple times already, the longing of my heart and my prayer is to, and my prayer to God is for the people of Israel. Um, I once heard somebody say, what you care for, you pray for. What you care for, you pray for. So I think that that goes both ways. Not only are you more likely to pray for people that you care for,
but you're also more likely to care for people that you pray for. And uh, I don't know if anybody has ever tried this before. I've, this has happened to me, uh, you know, in the past. I, there's two people that I think of particular that I started praying for um, that, that uh, come to mind. That I, I, they drove me crazy. They were, they're people that I did not get along with. We, we butted heads all the time. You know, these were at both my last two jobs. There was, there was one guy in both my last two jobs that just, like, we just didn't get along. My, my personality rubbed the wrong way against his, and, and, uh, and I just started praying for them. And I still, you know, they still, when I think of them, they, I have this idea that they drive me crazy in my head, but I also have this compassion for them, and I didn't have that compassion before I started praying for them. But as I prayed for them and I started to care about them, I started to show them love that I wouldn't have otherwise shown them. It didn't make any sense for me to even show, you know, in, in, in kind of eye for an eye sort of mentality that most people have. It doesn't make any sense for me to be showing them love. But I did. I wasn't able to see them come to know the Lord. But my hope is, and it was and is, that maybe someday they'll recognize their need. And maybe they'll still someday come and reach out to me and I'll be able to share with them. Uh, maybe they'll find somebody else who's a Christian because these people knew that I was a Christian. Maybe, maybe they'll reach out to somebody else because I, I tried to love them. I, I don't know. Um, but it would have never happened. I would have never showed them God's love at all had I not first started to pray for them. So the main step, step one to this is to care enough to pray and pray enough to care. So care enough to pray and pray enough to care. Moving on to uh, verses four through seven of this chapter, it says, for Christ has already accomplished the purpose for which the law was given. As a result, all who believe in him are made right with God. For Moses writes the laws, uh, for Moses writes that the law's way of making a person right with God requires obedience to all of its commands. But faith's way of getting right with God says, don't say to your heart, who will go up to heaven to bring Christ down to earth? And don't say, who will go down to the place of the dead to bring Christ back to life again? In fact, it says, the message is very close at hand. It is on your lips and in your heart. And that message is the very message about faith that we preach. The Jews of Paul's day and many people today are, as I mentioned before, trying to accomplish the purpose of the law on their own. But it's impossible to accomplish. We can't follow God's holy standard perfectly. At our very first sin, our record is tainted and we have no way to remove that sin. There's nothing we can do on our own. There's only one way. We need a Savior. We need somebody who is willing and able to pay the penalty of our sin. And that could only happen through Jesus. So can we play any part? Can we bring Christ down from heaven? Uh, can we bring him to earth? Can we raise Christ back up from the dead? Could we play any part in this salvation process? Is there anything that we by our good works could do to cause Christ to come and, and to raise him back up again. There's, we, we, we got nothing. 
We, we have nothing that we can offer um, that can make a way for us to be made right with God. It's only by faith in Christ alone. So with that being the case, we should never feel superior to anybody else who hasn't yet found Christ. Instead, we should look at them as somebody who is exactly where we were or where we would be had we not received Christ. Some of us grew up in Christian homes and we maybe don't know exactly what it looks like uh, to, 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 to be living outside of, of a relationship with God because it, it happened at such a young age. But had we, had, had we not received, we would be in the same place that they are. It was not by our own good works that this was done, but only by the grace of God. Also, we should see those who are not saved as the object of our compassion. And if we don't have that, then we should pray so that we can start to develop compassion for them. They are our objective as, as members of this search and rescue team. They're, they're the reason why we are here. Like really our, our, our great commission, the biggest, best thing that we can do on this planet is to be able to expand God's kingdom into the hearts of other people. And so we are God's hands and feet. We are his boots on the ground to seek and save the lost. And what is our main asset? What is the, the method by which we show people how they can be saved? Verse 8 said that the message is very close at hand. It is on your lips and in your heart. And that message is the very message about faith that we preach. And he, he goes on in verses 9 through 13 and says, if you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God and it is by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. As scripture tells us, anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. Jew and Gentile are the same in this respect. They have the same Lord who gives generously to all who call on him for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's good news. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So once the person that you are seeking to rescue is able to recognize their desperate situation, this is the rope that's lowered to them. This is the rope coming out of the helicopter that they can grab onto to get out of this, but they have to grab onto it. They have to put their trust in it. Um, their allegiance was to themselves or to, to a God of their own making. And now they have to change their allegiance. They have to put their trust somewhere else. Verse nine said, if you openly declare that Jesus is Lord. Now, we don't live in a culture where the word Lord is used much. I mean, inside the church we hear it a lot, but outside of the church you don't really hear people using the word Lord very much. When you do, it's, it's uh, in some sort of like um, royalty in some other country, um, which for the most part to me seems very strange because none of those people really seem to have any power or authority anymore. So it, it doesn't really hold the same type of meaning, this, this Lord. I know that, uh, I don't know if you've ever seen those ads online where you can buy this like one foot by one foot square piece of land in Scotland and you'll get a certificate saying that you are now a, a Scottish Lord. 
Like, it's, it, it, it doesn't really, it doesn't have the meaning that we're, that we're looking for here. But in other cultures and in other times, the word Lord was a meaningful title that was used with honor and respect, and it demanded submission to the person's power and authority. And that is the lordship that we're talking about when we think about Jesus as Lord. We use Lord uh, as a way of honoring him, um, giving reverence, and recognizing that he's our master, that, that he's in charge. Galatians 2.20 said that I'm crucified with Christ. It's no longer I that lives, but Christ lives in me. So I've, I've changed my allegiance from me to Christ. Jesus' lordship means that his will trumps my will. So outside of God's way of putting our faith in Christ, people end up putting their faith in themselves. They're lords of their own life and their, and their allegiance ends up being their own understanding. Their, their, their allegiance is to their own understanding, which is kind of interesting when you think about the idea that people see themselves as gods and then you think about how easily everybody is offended these days, you know, because when you do something that breaks one of their laws, like you, this is an absolute law. Like you, you now are, are deserving of judgment because you broke, you know, their laws because they see themselves as, as God, as their ideas are supreme. Um, but as we begin to recognize that, or as they begin to recognize that they are not God, that there is a real God, now all of a sudden that, that lordship starts to deflate a little bit. When they recognize that uh, they haven't lived up to the standards of a, a real God, a real creator, now all of a sudden, you know, the, their own ideas that kind of excuse their sins have been removed and now all of a sudden they start to feel the weight of this sin. Their, their conscience starts to be affected and they have to choose, what am I going to do with this? What am I going to do with this, this revelation? Am I going to be humble and make Jesus Lord of my life, or am I going to harden myself towards him? And that's kind of where, where it lands. You either have to become humble or you have to become hard. When someone recognizes their true condition, that they are a sinner and earn the wrath of a holy God, that they're destined to die and then face judgment, they have to make this choice. They have to decide, am I going to grab the rope? Am I going to put my trust and my allegiance in Jesus Christ, in his payment in it for my penalty or for my sin? Will they believe and will they call on the name of the Lord? Now you may be thinking, but how does somebody get to the point where they understand all of this in a way that they can Believe and they can grab onto this. Well, let's read on. Romans 10, 14 through 15 says, But how can they call on him to be saved unless they believe in him? How can they believe in him if they have never heard about him? How can they hear about him unless someone tells them? And how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? That is why the scriptures say, How beautiful are the feet of the messengers who bring the good news. Are you a, uh, are you a problem solver? I, know, I, f- I feel like that's kind of like my, my vein. Like I, 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 just, I always want to fix things. Whenever I, whenever I see something that's broken, I want to fix it. Uh, it doesn't matter if it's a toy or a machine or a, a process or a, or a relationship. I want to 
fix it. Um, if something isn't quite right, I want to fix it. And that desire is at its strongest when it involves somebody that I really care about. Uh, I don't go door to door asking people if their kids have toys that are broken that I can fix. <laughs> but, but if my kid has a toy that's broken, like I want to be able to fix it for them. Uh, when we care for others, when we've been lifting them up in our prayers, when our hearts are longing, as Paul's was, that they would be saved, these questions begin to stir up in us. They, it's it's kind of like the beginnings of this problem-solving situation. You know, how can I call? How can they call on him to be saved unless they believe in him? How can they believe in him if they haven't heard about him? How can they hear about him unless somebody tells them? We see the need, and as we drill down to the solution, we find that they're never going to believe unless somebody tells them, right? <laughs> it's, it seems really obvious, uh, but it doesn't jump out at you right away if you don't care enough to want to help them. If you don't care enough to want to help them, you never get to the point that you're like, well, somebody should probably tell them. <clears throat> you know how sometimes you can wrongly fix your eyes on like a small problem and they say they, it's like making a mountain out of a molehill when you get real close to it, it looks big. <clears throat> well, we can do the same thing in reverse sometimes where we can make a mountain into a molehill. You know, if you keep a mountain far enough at the distance, it seems pretty small. There are people that we see every day that are headed to hell. They don't know God. They're lost. But when it isn't our focus, the obvious truth that somebody ought to tell them that uh, seems to evade us. We know it's true, but, it, but it's a mountain out in the distance. And, and everything that's real close seems like a, a lot bigger thing to focus on. Verse 15 said, And how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? Or how will, and how, I think I started past 15, but how can they hear unless someone tells them? How will anyone go and tell them without being sent? That is why the scripture says, how beautiful are the feet of the messengers who bring the good news. When we are God's search and rescue team, uh, worship team, if you could come a little bit late on calling you up. Um, we are God's search and rescue team. Our mission under our commander, the Lord Jesus Christ, is to seek and save the lost. And what your position is, well, that's, that's for you to pray about. That's for you to figure out where do you fit in to this, uh, this team? Where do you fit in this search and rescue team? Uh, are you parachuting in behind enemy lines like missionaries in China? Uh, are you res responding to a tragedy like a, a neighbor losing a spouse and being able to go and comfort them and care for them? Maybe you are called to work behind the scenes in a, in a prayer support role. Maybe you have the ability to finance somebody else's mission work. Maybe if the church is doing a local outreach, you'll be able to help out financially to make that happen. Whatever it is, God has commissioned us and has put us together as a team in our primary objective and our great commission is to follow Jesus' command that he lays out in Matthew 28, verses 19 through 20. He said, Therefore go 
and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Let's stand. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we, uh, we recognize you as God of all creation. Lord, that you, you made us, and you made us in your own image, Lord. You laid upon us, uh, upon our hearts, your law. Lord, you desired for us to be in relationship with you, Lord. And, and uh, when that relationship was broken, you made a way for us to come and know you and experience you. We got to experience the power of your Holy Spirit living in us. We got to experience the peace of being freed from our sin. Lord, we get to experience the hope that we have in glory that is to come. Lord, we, we get to know you. We've got to experience you. We've, we, have, um, we have a story to tell. We have a story to tell of, of the good work that you did. We, by your word being prepared and saved for us over the years, we, we have a depiction of what you did for us, how you came to earth as a child, how you uh, grew up and you proclaimed salvation to the, the people in Israel, Lord God, and, and how you took on the sins of the world and laid down on a cross and died paying a punishment that we couldn't pay, that we could be redeemed. Lord, you've met with each of us in different ways. Some of us uh, were witnessed to by our parents, some of us by friends, some of us by evangelists, but we all heard the message. We heard the good news, and by your Spirit, we recognized that we were sinners and we were in need. Lord, and, and as we experience your great love in our lives, Lord, let us take on your mission. Take on your desire, Lord, that help us to, to in prayer, uh, stir in our hearts this longing and this compassion for those around us, Lord, that we wouldn't um, miss all of these opportunities, that, that we wouldn't uh, just go through life not caring that there's people alongside of us that are headed towards death and destruction. It's the same path that we were on it's the same thing that we were destined to without you, Lord, and and for us to just keep that to ourselves, Lord, uh, Lord, just forgive us. Lord, I just pray that you forgive me for the times that I didn't share when I could have, Lord, and uh, the times that I've been too focused on myself that I I missed the opportunity, Lord. You've placed people in our paths and you've placed us in the paths of people you've 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 transplanted us and put us where we are so that we can be in the right place as your soldiers as your team to go and minister your good news uh, help us to keep that at the forefront of our minds that we would be um, actively asking the holy spirit to lead us where we need to go who we need to speak to or we know we can't, we can't spend 24 hours a day uh, 
running to every person that we see, Lord, but, but you have a purpose and a plan for us. You have a rescue mission for each one of us to play a role in, Lord, and help us to know what is our role. What have you gifted us with? How can we share? How can we spread the message, Lord? I just pray that you would stir in our hearts today a longing and a desire for those who are lost. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As we uh, go, or before we go, or <laughs> as you're going through the next days and weeks, um, you know, this isn't a message that, uh, you know, we want to just take and leave here. You know, like, not that any, I'm hoping none of these messages are ones you want to just take and leave here. <laughs> but, but, but for us to figure out how, how can we apply this? You know, what, do you have anything stirring in your heart? Is there a mission that you feel passionate about? Um, if you have something, share it with someone. Share it with the church. Come and tell me if there's some way that, that the church could team up and partner together to show love to somebody. You know, um, sharing the gospel, like I said, it, it doesn't, first we have to care. And if we care, we're going to see people's, not just their spiritual needs, but their physical needs. And, and sometimes the physical needs need to be met first to kind of break the ground so that people um, recognize that they're loved. And, and, and sometimes they, uh, they need to have um, their, their hearts softened to hear the message so that they can actually receive the idea that there is a God and that he loves them. And so um, be thinking about that. What is God stirring in your heart? What is God stirring in your heart? Is there some way that the church can partner with you or that you can partner with each other to reach out to the lost? Um, let, let us know, and, and we'd love to join with, with you and encourage you in it. Um, in closing... Philippians uh, chapter 2, verses 12 through 16. <clears throat> Dear friends, you always followed my instructions when I was with you, and now that I am away, it is even more important. Work hard to show the results of your salvation, obeying God with deep reverence and fear, with lordship. For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. Do everything without complaining and arguing so that no one can criticize you. Live clean, innocent lives as children of God, shining like bright lights in a world full of crooked and perverse people. Hold firmly to the word of life, then on the day of Christ's return, I'll be proud that I did not, that I did not run the race in vain and that my work was not useless. So go, in the power of the Holy Spirit, sharing the good news of Jesus Christ for the glory of God. Amen.